Okay, you're on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM. You're listening to Behind the Lines. You're with Scotty. Now we're joined by Catherine Cunningham. Are you there, Catherine? Hello, Scotty. Good morning. Good morning. And Catherine's joining us from... Are you in Melbourne, Catherine? I'm actually in Lakes Entrance. Lakes Entrance. Nice one. Yeah, it's beautiful. Now, today we're going to be talking with Catherine about uh, Earthworker. Can you explain the... Well, I guess it's a, it's a worker-owned cooperative umbrella organisation, for want of a better description. But, um, yeah, can you explain what Earthworker is just briefly? Okay, well, uh, Earthworker is a cooperative of cooperatives. Um, we're basically the core of the... I, I consider it more a... Um, a petal, <laughs> the centre, a flower, at the centre of a, with many petals from it, and so the cooperative basically assists other cooperatives to be born, uh, and then supports them to sustain themselves long, long, long term. So we are intending from the centre, that's a Mondragon model in Bast in Spain, where which has been running for sixty years. They're, they've got um, sixty thousand, I think, members of the different. Over a few thousand, I think it's over a thousand odd. And please, I won't be able to quote on the numbers there. But um, but the the core structure is what we're trying to emulate here in in Australia with Earthworker is having the centre cooperative that then supports a number of other cooperatives, all with that intent to to work with the to work together in in a workers' own cooperatives, but to work towards an environmentally sustainable future. Can you explain how you came by the name? Well, my understanding of Earthworker is that it's the space between the environmental movement and the union movement. Um, having heard Dave Karen deliver his beautiful history a couple of times now, it's, um, it's quite an exciting understanding. And considering over the years we've had such a, um, a training that there's a separation of between jobs and the environment, to me to have union workers and environmentalists working together to attempts to change that conversation saying it's not an either or we can have excellent jobs powerful jobs for everyone actually serving the environment it doesn't have to be at the cost of the environment it came from the actually from the green bands itself that were um, were the actual action of the um, unions to support the environmental movement actually on the ground in those moments in the seven in the 80s I think in the 90s um, Dave's doing um, some Green Band tours, I think, in Melbourne at the moment where you can go along and see the different places that the different act, um, actions were taking place. Yeah, right. What, what were the Green Bands? There'd be plenty of listeners these days who weren't around in those times. Yeah, so the Green Bands, my understanding of them was that they were basically a... Um, there were a moment when it was understood that the work that the union members were being asked to do was 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 detrimental to the environment. And so if the environmentalists were hoping to have impact on, say, um, parklands or uh, um, greenlands being destroyed um, for the sake of more development, that the the workers, the BLF, I think at the time, was put their might behind the environmentalists and and said, well, look, we're not going to work on that site because you know that it's not environmentally sustainable, you know it's detrimental, so we're not we're gonna put our might behind the environmentalists and so yeah, instead of becoming black bands, these were these were green bands. And it was quite a powerful union and I think it's still yeah, I think Earthworker still has the capacity to 
to build to build that and be that bridge between between that space of yeah because essentially this story that we keep this narrative we keep being told that the you have to choose the jobs over the environment it's it's a story it's it's made up it's not real we all know that we can create excellent jobs but um yeah so right so um What's so good about the environment anyway? Why, why should we be looking after that? <laughs> yeah, why would we be doing that? Well, I mean, if we're looking for something to live in, you know, in 20 years' time, maybe <laughs> they would be great to in, in involve the environment in our decision-making. And, and business doesn't have to be at the cost. I, I, I've been um, studying um, Kate Raworth, the giant economics. economics. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I mean, we just... We've, maybe whether we've allowed it or whether we've found ourselves here, what, however we got here, we've got to a place where we've allowed money and business to be the dominant dominant paradigm that says that we all must be this way. And whereas the environment itself, our actual planet that we're living on, can't sustain this any longer. Can't sustain that storytelling, can't sustain that whole line of thinking. And if we stop and turn and face the consequences of our current actions... <laughs> We don't have much longer to go. We have to change. We have to make creative, intelligent, you know, deposable thumb and frontal cortex that humans have. We can we can do better than this. And to me, the cooperative model, as well as the environmentally aligned behaviours of the earth worker, means that we can make a, a real difference in the in the future. And we've got a lot of. We will, I mean, hopefully. We all want to be here in a couple of hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Why and we'd like to be here Why in a couple not? of hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> so, how do you see the uh, how do you see the current business sort of paradigm? How, how does the current business world look at nature, including humans? Well, uh, yeah, definitely including humans. I mean, it's all it's all expendable. It's all consumable, and um, and and endless consum- consumption. And so, to me, that whole that whole thinking is. It's uh, pretty short-sighted, <laughs> and, it's, and the, I mean, short gains for in the in the short term. It's oh, so large gains on the short term. It's just, just really. This, I mean, there's a reason why the indigenous peoples across the planet all had seven generations in front of them. That was their thinking, and all the decisions they made were in relationship with the seven generations in front of them. They knew that that's how far any decision we make now can last, and I mean, even. We take it down. I mean, we this whole journey that we're taking right now with the fossil fuels. We've got to make it, we've got to make it across the line here. We've got to change this fundamentally, and we are. I mean, coal factory. I mean, coal um, power station after coal power station is closing in the valley, and we're hoping to be part of the reframing of the valleys, the um, the Trove Valley, which is where most of the the big ones were. And are and there's a couple left. Um, yeah, we know that we can be part of creating the next relationship with energy, the next relationship with power, because we need to get better at it. I mean, burning and using something that's lasted, that's been there for millions of years, it's finite. It's, um, yeah, well, you know, it's 20th century stuff. <laughs> We're in the 21st <laughs> century now, and we've got enough intelligence to be able to build far stronger industry around renewable energy. Yeah, absolutely. Not, a, not an alternative. <laughs> it's the only way forward. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, so I guess... Well, I like to sort of go from basics and sort of build the case from there, but um, 
Yeah, you're, you're part of the economy. What, what do you see the economy as? Because it's sort of a fundamental of your view. So the economy in, in Morwell or the economy in Australia? Yes. <laughs> Both. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Um, well, I mean, look, economy, I mean, is management. It's management, um, as we're as always saying. I mean, it's, it's the management of your household. It's the management of... Uh, our resources, our time and our energy and our attention. What are we doing with it? And to me, the economy, the use of any given thing, the use of any moment in time, the use of to make something else, yeah? So we're Mm. trading, we're constantly making money and and making things to make more money. And our economy, to me, means to be in relationship with the flow. How can things continue to flow? And, And perhaps, you know, the neoliberal... Agenda is not so much with the flow and more with the horde. And <laughs> if we have more flow and more relationship and, and more understanding of how to keep things consistently moving in a more sustainable way and less of this holding on to and hoarding. I mean, a $6 billion um, profit at the end of AGLs, like, would they just, um, just announce that they have a $6 billion profit? How is that possible when we have such... With, with such rising in the prices of electricity, I mean, it's not... None of that's sustainable. We can't maintain companies. I, I've been quoted a number of times recently saying, I don't know if we, if we can afford billionaires or trillionaires. I'm certainly sure we can't <laughs> afford trillionaires. Yep. Trillionaires, I mean, that's a type of, of hoarding that... Huh. <laughs> yeah, geez, just <laughs> imagine how cluttered up their house must be. Well, and I mean, it's the type of... It's the thinking that's saying, and we have we we sustain a trillionaire, we sustain a billionaire. Yeah, mm. there's a that's how economy works. There's a there's this whole amazing pie, <laughs> and if someone's got ninety eight percent of it, it's a lot less. A lot <laughs> less for everyone else. else. Yeah. So what's this concept of flow? I mean, we can all understand the the concept of hoarding. That's your bank account, basically. Yeah. That's saving, and everyone's been encouraged to save and save and save so that. Just so that we can meet our own ends in in, in later life, really. Yeah, Superannuation is that, and your bank account, and investing in things. It's all about just being able to live for the working people. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. So, what, what's flow about? What's going on with that? And how would that help us out? Well, I think the flow would be about making. Like I think I think it's about opening up these hordes and, and recognizing that distribution and the distribution of wealth is something. It's not about two or three people making those decisions. It's about all of us making those decisions, yeah? And commons and that relationship with commons and, and shared wealth and community wealth, social sector wealth, all of those places, it make it, there's a type of richness that's in there that we can all actually access and we can all experience that doesn't have to be... I think this is the other part of what happens when you commodify everything. And when a company or when a... Um, a, a community or a whole culture is com- keeps confining just the dollar value and, and the reduction to a dollar value. We lose the value of everything else. Yeah? We lose the value of community. We lose the value of family. We lose the value of walking along the beach or in the forest that's you know still breathing and still upright. So we. So to me, the flow is actually being with each other more in a way that has less. So less transactional space. I think there's more giving and sharing. Um, 
that, that old adage, when you have more, you build a longer table, not a taller wall, yeah? And <laughs> that whole place of we could build so much in this country. We're so capable of holding ourselves really well. We're such an affluent country in so many ways. And yet mm. the richness isn't often felt by people. Yeah, most, a lot of people are much struggling really hard. Yeah. And, yet, and it's not, to me, part of that is just a reduction. It's keeping us in a smaller and smaller bandwidth rather than a... Um, and, I mean, that's, to me, meaningful work that is in a, in a cooperative. When you're a worker-owned cooperative, when you're doing something that you're doing together and you're doing with, and we were saying, at, um, I had a meeting the other week, and, the other day, and we were speaking to uh, the innovation available that's possible more when you're in, in a in a worker-owned cooperative, there's more room for you to bring. Um, excuse that. The noise. <laughs> the, there's a very loud king parrot outside. He's wanting its father's attention. Oh, it's all right. We can <laughs> we can let him have a word or two. <laughs> um, yeah, we were speaking to the fact that when um, when you've got a factory floor full of people who own the business, yeah, they're their worker owners. So when they come up with a better way of doing something. It's a no-brainer. You go there, you make it happen. And you make it happen quickly because it's the most effective way of doing it. Yes, and to me, yes. the collective thinking together, that's what I'm really, I'm very excited about participating with is just how many, how many more places we can open and make more, more flow, more capacity for yeah. us to, to build beautiful things, to build powerful things together in a way that is, is far more, um, to me, it's more, far more conducive to human nature. Yeah, yeah, to be more um, cooperative and to be more participatory and, and, and allowing more. And, I mean, yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting the communities that will start to build around these cooperatives as well. Is that, yeah, the kind of, you know, twice a year big family bashes or whatever we have. And, and um, yeah, just the, the type of people that can keep learning to keep cooperating That's and building right. more. So and, um, I guess, yeah, yeah. What? Um, sorry, I'll, I'll, we're going to get to that later. Sorry. So. <laughs> I'll stop you before we run out of things to talk about. Um, the uh, yeah, yeah, just getting back to where we were before, I guess um, we sort of do need to, to make a living somehow in, in, our, current, in yeah. our current economy. And who, who owns that living, though? I mean, currently, we're talking about ownership here with the, with the mm. worker-owned co-ops, but who owns our work at the moment? Well, I mean, essentially, if you're working for um, anyone, it's, it's your means of production are owned by whoever that is. So whether that's a really large multinational, the government, or, um, or even sort of a family-owned business, but, you know, there's 20-odd employees for a family-owned business, it's... It's about you show up and you put in your time and you get paid for your time and you walk away with that. And for some, and, and for many of us, that's, that's what's doable and that's what we do and, it, and, it, and that's how life works. Um, I guess the difference is when you own that, once you put in your eight hours, you've also you've got capacity to earn the compounding factor from that eight hours. So when you're, I mean, even just in the service sector, so one of the cooperatives that we've built is a, a cleaners cooperative. And so if you are working for a cleaning company, you're charged out at 60 bucks an hour and you get paid the 30-odd, maybe. <laughs> and so that extra 30 on every hour that everyone in the company does is collected by the company. Yeah. So that uh, earning, uh, owning that extra $30 
means that there's there's something there's there's an ownership in that that doesn't have to, you don't have to hand it over. I guess is what the the opportunity in the in the workers' cooperative is about. Yeah, right. So, and and how's the um, what what does that do to you to the the whole company's relationship to a place as well? Well, I mean, yeah, I think we, I think. I mean, when it, at the moment, if if the say a company decides it can make more money by moving the factory to China, yeah, they'll just do it. But yeah, yeah, I guess if it's your job on the line and you have the decision, you're probably not going to do that. Well, no, and I mean, and you find a way to keep it here, yeah, mm. and 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 you invest in the quality that lives here, yeah, the quality. And the quality is quality not just in the product, but the quality of life for everyone involved as well. Yeah, there's a valued... I think, I think there's, there's a... Hopefully in the revolution that we're taking, that's taking place now, we're actually learning to value things differently. I think part of that um, is what undermines when we say that, the, that it, yes, it's cheaper to get made in China, but the, the values that are taking place in those workplaces are really different than the ones we live in. And I think if we're not prepared to work like that, then why are we asking someone else to work like that? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That's right, isn't it? There's a yeah. real there's a real moment there. You have to look at it and go, Okay, I'll pay the, the however much ten percent, twenty percent, thirty percent cheaper because it'll get me that cheaper, but but there's a cost in there to humanity that we're not paying attention to. So it's gonna come back and hurt everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I think that's when, and then when we invest in Australian manufacturing, we invest in something, building something here and keeping it here, because it's these are the values that we live with, with here in this country, and that's what I, when I say when this is what we're possible of, it's what's possible here. We could we could be building really powerful, beautiful things that that rise everyone's standard of living, that that create abundance for everyone. Yeah, it's possible, but not if the neo, not if that liberalism, that that whole kind of hoarding place and and attempting to extract the the most fiscal <laughs> goodness out of any given moment. It's like ah, other things that are worth something. Yeah, yeah. Other places, there's other places of valuing humanity. I mean, and valuing and valuing human work too. I think that's the other part is. When we when we reduce humans down to just how much they can make us on the factory floor, there's a whole bunch of things we're losing in that moment. But I think we're worth more than that. I think I think our, I think being humans worth more than that. Mm, and, I um, keep hearing you getting back to that that thing where uh, I guess the way whole societies run is if it, if you can't sell it, then it doesn't exist and it just excludes all these human things and natural things. Yeah. Yeah, it runs through so many things. It's amazing. Um, why did you, why did Earthworker decide on, on co-ops as a business model? What is a co-op? Well, I think, I think Earthworker, um, I, think Earthwork, I think it was always going to be cooperative. I think when, when, if you're looking at union movement and you're looking at, if there's going to be a business model that serves union, it's cooperative. Mm. Yeah, it's the best for, for unions. It's the strongest space. Um, because it's not, 
it's a totally different conversation a union's having if everyone in the room owns the business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, what do they do? <laughs> yeah, it's a totally different it's a totally different place. Because it's a union then. It's actually you're all in the same team. <laughs> you're all on the same team working towards the same goal and everyone's yeah, on the same side. Whereas when the union space is up against the the, the corporation trying to negotiate, trying to hold some kind of ground so that the the standard of working practice or any of those things can be defended or protected. Yeah, I guess it's more like a couple of uh, negotiation desks sitting in a boxing ring surrounded on one side by workers and on the other side by cops, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah. yeah. And that place, I think, so I think cooperative was, was a, a no-brainer for Earthworker. I think it was definitely the only really well... Only the real because you still we don't it doesn't have to be charity work doesn't have to be charity yeah it, it we can still earn an honest living doing what we enjoy doing or doing what we're good at doing um, it's just how we distribute the results of that work yeah what the means of production the actual capacity to do that work in the first place and then and then what do we do with that once we've got that work done like the ownership models. That is, that is the cooperative means that everyone in the room is is making. I come. I'm, I've actually come from a um, a. I studied RMIT entrepreneurship, and um, I'm I'm really enjoying using um, my startup skills and and the the things that I've learnt there in the in in the earthworker environment. And it's been because in the core of every cooperative is still business. You still have to have a viable business there. It still has to do the thing that it's meant to do. So we're manufacturing and selling hot water services, uh, hot water systems. And and that's there's definitely a good business case there. There's a good there's a good business. The model of um, distribution that they've that, that they've created is it's all really strong, good business. And everyone who jumps on board that train, who gets in, on on board with that is you know, that's what we're doing. That's what we're creating. And then from there we're going to be looking at building um, plug-and-play um, battery alternator systems, and we've got a, a really powerful trailer that's um, it's called the Volkswagen. <laughs> it's, uh, mm-hmm. um, it's got great um, solar cells on top and, and a whole bunch of battery backs, and it's essentially it's it's the it's the solar version of a generator without the you know the toxic diesel fumes, <laughs> and it's silent. Yeah. And I mean, and so. As each of these, the business itself is going to be a really great business, and that's still in the core of the cooperative. You're still trying to make sure, but like they find in in Mondragon in in Bast, but not all business is meant to last forever. Yeah, so I mean, fax machine makers, they're out of business now. <laughs> we don't use faxes so much. But and so what they found at Mondragon was that over the sixty years, there were some businesses that had come to their natural end. And so everyone who's in that worker-owned cooperative didn't lose their job. They just found another place to be in the in the broader cooperative scheme. And I think that's the point of having a cooperative of cooperatives, by having the central, central one and then lots of other cooperatives in lots of different areas that people can go, okay, well, I've, perhaps there's been an, um, uh, an injury and, and no longer capable of doing that work. So yeah. you move over and do into other work. Perfect. Look, I'm going to go and listen to a song now. We're going to Please. listen to James Brown with I Don't Want Nobody to Give Me Nothing. Yay. And 
after that, we'll be talking more with Catherine Cunningham. And we'll be having a bit of a yarn and continuing that theme on uh, on the, the how structures, how co-ops are structured and, and some of the good examples around the world. And then we'll get right into what Earthworker itself is doing, which is fantastic. All right. And that was the wonderful, the amazing James Brown with I Don't Want Nobody to Give Me Nothing. <laughs> Great track. Yeah, yeah, it's a classic. It's a classic. There's a bloke called Ed Whitfield who did a whole lecture on that song and it was really good. Uh, you could probably find that on YouTube somewhere, I guess. Ed Whitfield, James Brown, that'll probably get it for you. Nice. Um yeah, so cooperatives. Cooperatives have, have been around for a while. Do you know when the when the whole idea of a co-op sort of showed up in the world? Back in the 1800s, I think. Mm. I think when we first started thinking about business. I think industrial... Um, you know, I think when we began the idea... I think all industry... When you think where industry began, like in the village, the blacksmiths did the, the horseshoes and the, the baker did the bread and... And they shared, yeah, everyone shared what they had because they were doing their bits and, and the village prospered and mm-hmm. there was enough for everyone. Um, I think it's when, and then when the formalised nature of the business itself, um, the outside of us business, the the top down, the the corporations started. I mean, and when you think about it, a corporation is a legal entity, yeah, they had to create something over there that could be the their vessel and and a cooperative mm. is still the same legal entity. The vessel. I like to think of it as an imaginary friend. Yeah, <laughs> and so one of them works well with others. One of them not so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and the cooperative model for that vessel just means that everything that's made in there stays in there or is given to those that made it. Whereas in the corporation model, everything that's made in there gets siphoned off and taken to somewhere else and, and given to or, yeah, sold on or, or whatever it is. And, I mean, when we when we think about, um, like, what, what Mondragon's got in Bath, that they've got a $17 billion turnover, yeah, in their, in their organisation. Mm, can that's get really 17, big. That's $17 billion that stays there. It doesn't go offshore. Mm. It doesn't go anywhere else. It doesn't do anything else. That's cash that stays inside. I was looking at, um, uh, what do they call it, the Bristol Pound, I think. Yeah, that's so that's a yeah. local currency a over local in the UK, ho- yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so a local energy trading system, to me, is another aspecting or, or another version of a, of, of a circulating economy within a small environment. Whereas the cooperative itself is, is not just, I guess, circulating, it's, it's, the, it's the creating wealth together that stays with those who created the wealth. And... So to me, I think it, I mean, I don't know exactly when the first cooperative was born, but I'd say it was probably born around the same time as the corporation was born, when the, those, those choices are being made towards the, the singular ownership or the collective ownership. Yeah, yeah, just from what you were saying before, I just, just had the idea that I guess the, the, the boss's sort of corporation formed first and then and as a reaction to the abuses that that was sort of doing in its extractive sort of very greedy form... Mm. The cooperative sort of emerged as a, a union sort of response, and, and really was a bit like that even from the start, wasn't it? Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, we. I mean, from the very beginning, the workhouses were pretty horrendous thing. Oh yeah, and it's yeah. been been a big fight to uh, 
get things a bit tamer, hasn't it? Um, so what I'd like to do is just, just run through the, uh, the, the cooperative principles, which are, uh, sort of maintained by the International Cooperative Association. Yeah. Um, so the first one is voluntary and open membership. So, um, what, uh, what's the features of that that are, that are good with a co-op? I guess that just says that we don't, I mean, there's no, there's no have to. Obviously, voluntary means you have to, it has to be something you choose for yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't be made to work in a cooperative. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and, and open just means that, and I mean, we're finding this, like we're going to be, um, we're going to have to begin by, by employing, but we, we know that everyone that moves towards who's sticking around is about working towards becoming a worker in a cooperative. And that's, because they're, and it's open to anyone who can do that. And, and that's not necessarily a given, I think, for everybody. I think open means that everyone's got an opportunity, but not necessarily um, the capacity. I think, in, I think you need to learn how to be in a cooperative, because I don't think it's a given in our culture. I think it's a learning factor. No, it's very alien, I think, living in yeah. a daily sort of democracy. Yeah, it's daily democracy that lives in a way that everyone's, yeah, negotiating consensus, like trying to find the way to make it the highest good, like whatever's going to work the best. Um, and in the past, I think in a corporation, so much of it's a top-down often, and some corps are realising how to make things a bit flatter, but, but most of it's a competitive environment. Yeah, even You're still competing for a, a job, whereas once you've become a member of a cooperative, yeah, you, you become a member. And, and then, you know, you're in. <laughs> yeah, you have to work really hard to get sacked then. Yeah, pretty much. You have to work yeah. pretty hard to get kicked out. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously every every group that's working together has the, their, their edges, their boundaries, um, and they'll, I'm sure, will have... Yeah, we, I mean, everything needs to stay within inside the law. As soon as you break the law, there's reasons to be, um, you know, theft and all those sorts of things. But... Um, but I think open membership just means that that no cooperative can sort of set itself up in any with only elitist type of membership. I think that's important mm. to have it open and possible for everybody. And I guess by open, it doesn't mean that just anyone can walk in the door and start working there, does it? It doesn't. You've got to. I mean, everyone's got to find the way it works well together. Yeah, um, and 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 how that works well together. But. Um, yeah, by being by being open membership, it does have a commitment to to everyone having an opportunity. Yeah, now I guess there was a phenomenon in the in the um, in the Soviet the USSR, which um, was that people sort of had to go to work, but they all got the same wage, and it, you couldn't really get sacked. And and there was a phenomenon where people just didn't work as hard. And is that? Is that an issue, or would you find that as, as an advantage of, of reducing hours as a way of raising pay? Mm. I don't know. I mm. think um, I think there's a difference between <laughs> what we're building here and what was that that was that was then. Oh, there might be a couple of little differences. Here. Yeah, a few differences <laughs> in that. And I guess the key of that is, I mean, what we what are we attempting to achieve? I, I don't think we'll find that people. Yeah, I think in actual fact, when you own the business, when you're part of the ownership structure, you're not. Um, I mean, like John Siddons built a, a, a quite a serious employee ownership model um, back in the day, and and he found that what that helped happen was that there was more investment in the job. Yeah, people wanted to do their best because it was something that it benefited everybody. 
Mm. And I think um, I'm looking forward to people who, who are participating in that kind of mindset. Because I don't think you step into this if you want to slack off. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that you, you would step into this if you perhaps have worked for yourself and found it really difficult to be working by yourself. Yes, yes, the, I can. The other part of working for... I mean, there's a lot of people, sole traders out there who do their own work for themselves, but, but it is a very lonely game. <laughs> yeah. Yes, well, that's me at the moment. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm looking for a co-op. Yeah. <laughs> What's the game? What's the industry that you're working? Uh, electrical, solar. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we'll get one. Um, yeah. So democratic member control, I think we've just about covered that, but how does it actually work within within a, the co-ops that you're looking at? How does the democracy happen? You, you probably have to have a board legally. Yeah, well, we do. I mean, the vessel needs a, um, guidance that needs to be and responsible people for it. Mm-hmm. So um, we have an interim board at the um, Energy Manufacturing Cooperative, Um and that's just until the until the main body of the workers arrive, because it's um, it's actually the it's quite a unique way of building a cooperative because it's not not norm, not normal really for it to mm, be built this way. Maybe we should just introduce the uh, the energy cooperative first. Uh, what, what is it? Okay, so it's begun um, the, the energy the Earthworker Energy Manufacturing Cooperative is uh, set up in Morwell. We've got a factory there right now, um, and what we've done is. We were invited in four or five years ago to a company called Everlast that was um, experiencing difficulties and they were looking to shift from a company to a workers' own cooperative. And there was a number of moments in there and, and definitely before my time, so I'm not entirely sure of that, <laughs> that understanding. But my, from what I understood in the end, uh, it was definitely a lot of education. There was lots of talk and it, and it kind of nearly almost made it and then um, the directors of the company at the time liquidated the business um, and so there wasn't actually anything to translate across So, except that a lot of the earth worker people who were investing lots of time and energy in that managed to purchase most of the equipment um, and the IP for the, for the company, for the actual manufacturing of the tanks. Yeah. So it's very unusual for cooperative to be built this way, but this is the way we're building it, and um, and as many said, the um, we're building the path as we walk upon it. So it's this place of, well, I guess this is how it works. We do have two two people who came across from over the last, um, they but but because it's four or five years later, most of the employees have moved on, and that was Dandenong, and and we actually did move it out to Morwell. Yeah. So why did you choose Morwell? Uh, well, I mean, it's a it's in a town in transition, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of people who were working in coal mines and who were working in coal power stations, and now that we're shutting those down, we can't desert those people, yeah. They're all still there, and so to create um, solar industry, to create manufacturing industry, that and a lot of the skills are really translatable across uh, into the manufacturing that we're looking to do, and so. We're really excited about what's possible for the people of the Trove Valley of Morwell. Um, I mean, obviously, we're, we will be beginning with sort of five, eight, ten people, and then, but then, who knows how how we can grow this? And we're getting a lot of great support, and there's been some amazing people have come forward with with money right at the right time. And and then, no, and then the, the, we found a um, a mould injector up in Queensland for an incredible 
like it would have normally been 40,000 and we found it for six or something. And, and so someone just came forward and threw in six grand into the pot to, to go and grab that right now. <laughs> and, and I mean, it, there's been some fantastic, incredible, beautiful, supportive um, moments throughout. And we've got our open day on Saturday. Oh, tomorrow. <laughs> uh, in the factory, uh, which is mostly just for the dementia holders and people who've been backing us, and we just want to show them because we're really excited how close we are to to turning the wheel over and 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 producing our first tanks. So um, yeah, and I think as as we grow and the people arrive to the to the industry or to the to the business, um, yeah, we'll find that we'll build our communication skills and our decision making as we go because it, it is a learning yeah there's a lot of people who've never who've most lived their working life they've just done what they've been told whereas um, and there's definitely a certain amount of this is going to have to happen today yeah for work to happen we need to get this done but that deciding who gets to do what deciding making the movement of the space you know fluid and effective is, is there, that's everyone's intention and everyone's goal I'm sure that the communication just gets clearer and clearer yeah, well, I've worked in places where the boss had no idea what they were doing and it was just all the people who worked there who organised themselves and got it together and just did the job until yeah. the boss came up with some other weird idea and made us do it again. But Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you really? I think I'm so excited for people who've had that experience way too many times <laughs> to, you know, not have to do that again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It'd be really awesome. Yeah. I have to play that hand up. So the, uh, the third one is member economic participation. Um, yeah. How does that work within either your or generally within co-ops? Well, often that's um, either a capital investment or an investment of time um, and a ties of time sort of like it's about dues, I guess. Um, it's about investing more than just your day-to-day. It's about investing a bit more than that. So whether or not you arrive, like uh, the cleanest cooperative, everyone there put in $400 each to start it, um, and there's five of them, so that was two grand, and that put together their first bit. Um, and that was, that, that's a fairly common way of beginning a cooperative. Um, not the way we've done with manufacturing, but, um, and we won't be asking for thousands of dollars of, of membership for when people do. We, do, we will be asking... Uh, I mean, a uh, agreed upon amount for everyone to, to participate in that investment moment. Yeah, so that they're stepping up and stepping into. Yeah, right. So I guess because because you're you're owners, you need to you need to own the capital, I suppose that that's, yeah, that's funding it to keep your control. Yeah, I guess in the in the case of the energy manufacturing, they're going to be owning a certain amount of debenture debt. Like there's there's a um, part of what they're going to step into is is paying those things back, um, and and that. But then once it's paid back, then from there, the movement forward is still theirs as well. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so there is definitely, and there's not necessarily a risk in that, but there is, there is. Um, so there's not necessarily. I guess in a way, we're not asking them to invest because we've invested so much already. So there's there's a a, a meeting of that to start hmm. with, and then from there to go forward. Yeah, it's already there. It's already waiting. It, it, what it needs is, is the time and the energy um, of, of people to arrive who want to do the work, mm-hmm. who want to do it for themselves. Though. Yeah. The fourth one is autonomy and independence. So independent from what? Um, my understanding of that is, I guess, 
um, the, the, the business itself, the cooperative itself, is autonomous. Hmm. It's not necessarily the, the mechanism of... Yeah, I'm not entirely 100%. I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my reading yeah. of that is that it's it's about the the control of of the company, and and yeah. in many situations, it's the the investors wind up controlling the board. Well, indeed. Yeah, which which and really means that the the company is there as a primary purpose is to make money for the investors, and the secondary yeah. purpose is whatever they're doing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I guess, I mean, we have seen. Recently, the the development of the B Corp, which is is a, a, a shift on that, because in in corporate law, that is the primary purpose is mm. for profit, and that's because it's a law inside the company. It often is cited as the reason they can't do any of the things, but the thing they do. Whereas as a cooperative, the the prime purpose is not the profit; it's the business. Yeah, the profit is a means to an end. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. And I guess the B Corporation, that's a for-benefit corporation with a with a, a, a distinct mission, isn't it, like corporations used to have? Yeah, indeed. And I mean, and the B Corps get to define if, they're, if they're, the primary purpose is for the planet or for people or for purpose, then there's something else. Yeah, they don't have to, it doesn't have to be for profit. Yeah. So number five, education, training and information. Now, this, this goes back to what you said earlier about the... Uh, about having to learn to work in a, in a co-op. Um, Indeed. Yeah. What's the need for education for, for people coming into a co-op? What do they sort of, yeah, what are, I they, think, what are they learning? Well, I think they have to, I mean, uh, I think to start with, we just start with some nice, strong, basic language, <laughs> language <laughs> skills and emotional capacity. Because um, I think the other part of, of when you're building the rules yourself is that um, rather than living under imposed rules, that's, there's a um, there's a learning in that you've got to learn how to how to sustain your own boundaries, how to be communicate, how to work through conflict, yeah, how to to manage, um, you know, the human part of any business. There's this, this whole human part, and and in I often have been quoted saying um, most professionals park their humanity at the door mm-hmm. when they walk into the boardroom. Yeah, they don't allow the professional nature. It seems to be about being less less human and more professional. And to me, the opportunity that's in the cooperative is to is to remain really human. Is to is to keep really human and and bring that in with you. But then, but from that moment, you need to you need to learn how to to be with all of that, yeah, rather than all of the normal ways, which is to ignore all of the feelings. Uh, but also to not to ignore all the other. Types of intelligences. I think. Um, I think the other part of when you're told what to do, often your um, and, it, and your work is defined for you. Then you don't necessarily get to bring all your creative force to the room um, because you tend to just do the rote thing. Whereas I think there's more opportunity. But again, that needs to manage. We need to manage together in that process and, and to, to build together. So there's a lot of. I think there's going to be um, all sorts of different types of learning that that we're not even necessarily entirely aware of yet. Uh, and I think I think language and communication capacity um, building, and then also so that conflict can get clear. And then also how the you know the whole 
the whole business side of it too, I think, actually teaching people, I mean, often they're making actual business decisions and if they haven't necessarily been making business decisions before, that's a new learning as well. Um, understanding the breadth and the depth of, of how your business works, I mean, how we're getting sales, how we're processing our invoicing, how we're doing all those different things. They're all things that most of us will need to be across. There'll be some of us that, that focus more on the office and, and less on the floor and others that focus more on the floor and less on the office. But I think in time, the type of education, um, yeah, will be consensus building, um, conflict resolution, but also, um, you know, collaborative thinking. Who knows, you may, may use some, the six thinking hats might be a really useful tool for everyone to have. Um, <laughs> The Bono's work, because that's a, a fairly rare thing in this country, which is unfortunate. Cause it, I mean, it, it's perhaps a bit more now than it was, but um, it's a really good thinking tool. And But, yeah, this is the thing. Most of us haven't been trained necessarily to, to this side of business uh, in a collaborative way. If we have been doing business on our own, we've been um, sole trading. So it's, a different, again, a different thing to work with others to build towards something together. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and what what sort of education and information would you put uh, externally outside the the uh, organisation? Oh, heaps. We're hoping to do basically. I I mean, I'd like to. I've been definitely part of Earthworker um, education conversations, and I'd love to build a program that we take into high schools. Oh yeah. Because yep. I think um, high schools have got this. There's so many incredible understandings, and kids just cracking and open, going, "I just want to do it." Mm, <laughs> and, oh. Why not and, just open high schools instead? Sorry? Why not just make some high schools? Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. way you could do it properly. They could run their own high school. And then Indeed. They'd be, <laughs> be up and running ready to jump into the co-op life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, so to deliver it into, I mean, I'd like to see um, hmm. cooperative general ed- education in, in local learns and those sorts of things, just an understanding. But I think we're, um, yeah, I think there is some, we've got a, finally got a new um, Farming Together, uh, which is a government initiative in Victoria for cooperative education for farmers. Oh, yeah. um, they've, they've, found, they've, they've been building some online stuff and they've also got a um, cooperative management um, post-grad in New South Wales, I think. It's also seeing that. So I'm hoping to see that actually delivered through, hopefully through Federation if we can. Yeah, we'll great. Get our hands on it and see if we can get it, bring it down into the bed. <laughs> and number seven, oh, sorry, number six, cooperation amongst cooperatives. Now, Earthworkers all over this one. Yeah, that's, I think, it's key. And then that's just realising that the more we build, the stronger we become. Yeah, the more people are engaged in the cooperative living, um, the more people are, 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 building the new, are building the next world, yeah? Hmm. Because it's, it is the antithesis to the corporation, yeah? And if you wake up in the morning in a co-housing environment <laughs> and with cooperative co-housing and then you go and you do your hours of earning your honest living doing the thing that you love to do in, a, in another cooperative and you kind of and hang out with a group of people that you've been, yeah, working with a food co-op for your evening meal. I mean, there's so many ways that we can keep building. So, it, But it, it does depend on if the cooperatives are working together and that's, uh, I guess that's like definitely a mandate to keep doing that. Yeah, yeah, and what a jigsaw puzzle that's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun for a designer mind anyway. Yeah, definitely. And number seven, concern for community. What yeah. does that mean to you? Well, to me it just means that 
you're building family. I mean, you're building something that everyone... You're building stronger community space. And uh, we've already built some relationships with the local arts community and we're going to get some beautiful murals and, and art involved in our factory, which I think is important. I think art's a really important part of any any community. Um, and that, and making space, making things um, available for for people to be connected with people. And we know that, I mean, the smarter we get and the more tech we build, it seems to be there's a... The other type of that scale seems to be more and more separation um, and disconnection. And so it even looks like we're, it looks like we're connected in lots of ways with this technology, but there seems to be more isolation. So I think any time that you can build more community and people can feel more connected to each other and participating with each other, then there's less loneliness and more human being human together because we are we're we're a social being. That's, that's our nature. Yep, as Douglas Rushkoff well. says, part of team human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, the, in in Australia, there's sort of two legal forms of, of co-op, just distributing and non-distributing. Yep. Um, now, Earthworkers got one of each. Um, yeah. Can you explain those terms? What, what's distributing? So the distribution um, essentially just means what are you going to do with the with the surplus? With when you um, when we call it a surplus rather than a profit uh, in a in in a cooperative language, from my understanding, um, and that is so basically at the end of any given fiscal year, you've earned this amount, you've paid this amount, and you have X amount of left over, hopefully. And the surplus is either um, dividend dividend divided up and paid out to all of the members of the cooperative or it's kept in the cooperative to invest, reinvest and go again the next year ahead of you. So that's the difference between the paying and non-paying dividend. Mm -hmm. So Earthworker in the centre um, is a non-dividend paying cooperative and that means that any of the income and any of the earnings, any of our surplus stays within our cooperative there and that's that's really important to the model that we've built here. Whereas all of the other um, smaller cooperatives that, that um, are participating with us, uh, all Earthworker cooperatives, they are the dividend-paying cooperatives. So they, to the worker owners, because those are the people doing the work. And so in part of their ownership, there is a percentage of that surplus that does go back to the centre, um, to, to the, the centre co- Earthworker cooperative, but that... And that is um, because there's a lot of services that the Earthworker provides for each of the smaller cooperatives. So our intention is to, is to deliver all of that education to each of the cooperatives so that we're not reinventing the wheel every time a cooperative is born by having a central education body and, and keep learning every time we build a new cooperative. Yeah, that's There'll fantastic. There'll be more and more learning. So what, are the, what are the sort of um, specific things or skills that, that the central Earthworker sort of umbrella organisation will be will be making available to any co-ops that form underneath it? So we want to be delivering um, the four legs of the table, it's called, and, and the, their education, um, research and development and financing, um, then the marketing and, and the support in, in business. Uh, and so, yeah, and then so... Finance is a separate, the fourth. Um, so research and development is is developing more cooperatives um, and and creating more opportunity for that, the feasibility. And then in time, um, looking to build um, things like 
uh, housing cooperatives and, and more welfare and an opportunity for each of our, for all of the other cooperatives to build um, perhaps not necessarily earning cooperatives, like there's a difference. So, I mean, housing cooperatives do earn because they, they've purchased the property. Um, mm, and they and need to pay for maintenance. And, yeah, they do. They will need to do maintenance and that sort of thing. So, but, um, it, yeah, there's a different... A housing cooperative has a different business model than a, than a manufacturing cooperative does. So I think what we'd find is that the Earthworker Central Cooperative will be building... Um, yeah, we'll be, we'll be delivering the education, the um, recent development, the finance and the marketing to each of our cooperatives. Right, yeah. So um, the, the, I mean, that would, that would be such a boon to any, any business starting up, whether it's yeah. a co-op or not, to have all of that sort of stuff on tap. Yeah, and that's definitely the intention. That we, Yeah, it's what we're looking to build here. Is the, and then, I mean, part of that then is that... Um, that each of the cooperatives is quite woven financially with us, um, and that part of part of that is protection mm-hmm. for the work that's been invested. Um, the demutualisation uh, we've just seen this with the um, Murray Goulburn, the dairy farmer, yeah, um, that happened in Victoria. So my understanding, and and forgive me if I've made this wrong, but my understanding is that that was a cooperative that ran for many, many, many decades. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a very old cooperative, but then it got demutualized and then it got corporatized and now it's it, it, it had its um, offering and now it's it found itself very different yes. the way it was. well now its primary purpose is to make money and the way to do that is to thrash the farmers in the land. Yeah, and that's not what any of them signed up for. No. And, and that's really sad. And so any of the cooperatives that we build, we want to be able to sustain them long term and way beyond perhaps the initial founding members. And I guess that's the other part of it. Often a cooperative is begun by someone or a couple of people who have been really passionate about something. And then once they move on, it falls over. So another reason to build this central cooperative with a number of cooperatives offered is that it lives beyond the personal and beyond the personality. And and then the business it's built is built because that, that actually is a really good business, no matter who's going to be in there running it. It's a really strong business. And so, yeah, I mean, it, cleaning. Cleaning's a really simple one, yeah? And when I, when I was talking to some of the, the beautiful women who set that up, it's like I would see... Um, well, let's it, introduce that, that co-op now. Um, yeah, Redgum. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so what's so, Redgum? So Redgum Cleaning Cooperative is um, set up in Melbourne. It's in the northern suburbs at the moment. That's where most of their members are living. Um, I believe they have six members now. Um, and they're just they're cleaning houses and small offices. And it's... It's really, to me, as I was saying to them, was um, it feels like it'll be a great place for people to learn the the function functioning moving parts of a cooperative because they make decisions together and, and they do all the consensus building and they and they they build the yeah they build the process of doing it together and mm. they've had um, and they, yeah it's just a simple. Simple, simple thing. They all everything they use is an environmentally friendly products. They don't use any. Um, any nasty stuff, uh, and yeah, and they deliver a really powerful service. And whereas, I mean, and, and cleaning can be quite a, an exploitative environment uh, industry. Sorry, yeah, it's notorious, isn't it? It's notorious for being quite exploitative, and and I think again, um, you're paying for you're paying for a number of things when you pay for a red gum cleaner. You're paying for environmentally clean, paying for um, decent living wages, and you're paying for um, yeah. I mean, we're an organisation. 
we've we've built we're not a fly by night obviously it takes a lot of energy to build a cooperative <laughs> so, <laughs> and we and we're invested in our reputation and and definitely I know that the the women who've built it have been yeah really diligent in making sure that people who keep arriving to it will will maintain that same intention as well yeah well like you say if you've actually got an ownership stake in in a business you, you do want to see it do well you do, and you want to maintain the name, and you want to maintain the integrity, and yeah, I think there's a lot of beautiful moving parts in that, which will become quite exciting yeah. for the organisation in the future. So another aspect of the Australian sort of um, cooperative law scene is that you can have different types of membership to enable something called a multi-stakeholder cooperative. It's a Indeed. Lo- lovely clunky name, but what does that mean? Um, I'm not entirely over that bit, but um, my understanding is that it means that you can have um, general membership and then you can have active membership. Mm, well, I, is, I, is think, I, think, I think I think Worker Central is a pretty good example. Um, yeah. What sort of different members do you guys have? Well, we, everyone who joins Earthworker is a member um, mm. and it can be part of our AGM and, and voting rights and all those sorts of parts of it. But then there's actually active members that are doing the organising and are making things happen. Um, and they aren't necessarily their voters, and isn't necessarily any more important than anyone else's vote. It's just that they're they're moving with it, they're using it. So I think we've got three hundred members, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, and now that we've actually we've actually just changed our rules and gone from um, a single membership for life to a renewable annual membership to maintain a more active base because it is important that um, those that are inv- engaged with Earthworker are active. Um, to a degree. Uh, I guess then the further from that are the people who are actually working in the other cooperatives from Earthworker. So everyone who's in any of our cooperatives needs to be a member of Earthworker, mm-hmm. so in the core, and then um, and then they, they're a member of the actual cooperative, again, the, the one that they're actually working in. So whether that's red gum or, or energy manufacturing, yeah, a member of both. Yeah, right. Now, there are there any other sort of members? Uh, is anyone like uh, lending or anything like? Yeah, that? I guess there's debenture holders or the the people who've been financially backing. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a different. I don't know if they've got because it's not. I mean, different than than a corporation. There's no. Um, it's not an equity involved in, in um, equation when people invest cash in Earthworker. Um, they are debenture holders, and we definitely honour them, and they and they have a type of membership that's a bit different, perhaps others. But that doesn't again doesn't make their vote any more important than anyone else's vote, mm. and they don't have more of a vote, which just makes them very different than any other shareholder. That's right. So no matter how much the company might owe you, you've still just got the one vote. Yeah, you're still the one player in the game. So um, yeah, one person that's participating in the in the process of of making it happen. Um, to the tune of, and, and we will honour all of our adventures. We're excited about what's actually happening this next next year ahead of us with the energy manufacturing. I'm sure that, um, yeah, we, yeah, well, hopefully next two years we can have it all paid back. Yeah, nice one, nice one. So uh, you, you've mentioned that um, there's other sort of umbrella cooperatives or central co-ops around the place. Well, what are some good examples of those? So, yeah, the Mondragon, I guess, is the model that we've been focusing on. And we've had, um, my understanding is that Dave has been over there and some of the, the people have come here and there's been quite extensive relationship with them. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are many others and there's probably some in Australia as well, but I'm still learning. <laughs> I haven't entirely got my handle on all of them. Yeah, right. So what's and the I, story in the Mondragon one? It sounds like you know a little about that. 
Out of all of the ones I've studied over the years, it's definitely the one I've studied the most. And it, I guess what excites me about it is, it is it's hospitals. It's, it's primary schools, high schools. Um, aged care are all cooperatives. They're all cooperative-owned. Mm. Um, everyone gets paid for the work they do, and it's, but it's all owned by the people themselves. And mm. that makes for a really different relationship. I mean, can you imagine aged care and childcare? And we definitely will be heading in those directions in time. Um, those, I mean, when those those places, when those become industries, where sort of quantified down to the apple slice, yeah, childcare, which mm-hmm. the ABC mm-hmm. company has a, the, their business plan. They do. They, they quantify down to the apple slice. That's a business model that they're making. But there's children involved. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it becomes a really different thing. So well, I was very excited about Mondragon because of that. Um, and, I mean, and, and the fact that when you have so many cooperatives and, and if you do stop being interested or stop wanting to work in that field anymore or want to do something different, then moving into another cooperative is really easy when you've got that, when everyone's, you know, everything's connected, everything's woven together. So it's not a, um, it's a much more, I got, it, to me it just seems like a much more human way of being. And I mean, there's many thousands of people who live there in, the, in that, but I think it's over 60,000 people who are living there. Um, and please forgive my numbers, they're not the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, yeah, but they... Tens um, of thousands. So it is a thousand. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just, I found that the the way that they all weave together and, and it just would keep perpetuating itself um, as it continues to grow. Yes, very interesting. So how do, how do co-ops sort of fare in, in, in differently in, in hard times or, or boom times? Well, I think the recent, the recent financial crash that the most of the world experienced, they were inoculated against because they weren't, they're not participating financially. So the co-ops did fine, didn't they? They just kept they on trundling fine. along. They just kept trundling along because that $17 billion turnover stays mostly inside it. Mm. So, so there's your flow and your cycling pr- yeah, protecting you. It's protecting itself and, and that becomes a way, I mean it's yeah, so rather than rather than siphon off, like everything stays within and and it keeps just going around. So, I mean, you've got aged parents, you've got kids, um, but all of those services are part of the cooperative that you're you're part of. So all of that is I mean, it's just a flow through. All of that money stays within. It's not siphoned off, yeah? Mm. So that means that it becomes something that can sustain itself in hard times. And, and I think the next couple of decades in front of us aren't going to be easy. It's just going to get harder with, with climate change and with water shortage and with all the different things that we're going to have to, to meet and, and live through. The more we can do this together in structures that we've built that are, are collaborative and supportive of one another, the, the better chance we have of making it through. Yeah, so, so when... When earthworkers in another year or two has sort of taken over the economy and all these different sectors and, and, and has, <laughs> has the whole population working in cooperation with each other, what's the place going to look like? Well, hopefully a lot. Next lot. May, I want to buy. Sorry? Next May, I want to buy next May. Well, next May, yeah, next yeah. May. Go on. All right. 
So, uh, well, look, I think, I mean, for me, it just means that your daily life is no different really than any other daily life. But it's just that the, the results of your work are your own, yeah? It's, it's something that, I mean, in time we'd be buying our own, yeah, the, the, we've got banks now, and the Bank Australia is a cooperative bank, that we, the, the people who are participating in it are owners of it, yeah? So it's not siphoning off, it's keeping it here. And the more we build here, the stronger here becomes. Yeah, the more we, we let go and send it offshore, the, the, the weaker we become. Hmm. And, and the more we're participating with the actual earth we're living on. And the more it's easier to become more sustainably conscious and more aware if you're in relationship. Yeah. And if, yeah. So to me, the earth worker, the earth and earth worker is about the fact that everything we build is designed to make our sustainable life more sustainable. Yeah, we're not interested in participating in the exploitation of Earth. We're interested in in, in participating in the in the renewable state so that we can actually live here a long time, please. But I think our lives would become... I, I don't know. For me, I, I feel like our lives become happier. I think we become... Um, we find more purpose and more meaning in our days and our lives and that would make for a deeper sense of happiness. It's not such a surface level. It's a much, uh, I think it's one of the ills of our current culture is that there's this song and dance routine and story about all the ways and means that people are meant to be happy or how they can get happy. But in actual fact, I mean, satisfaction, deep satisfaction, job satisfaction, those sorts of things, they, they mean something. Yes. And if you own it and you've built it and it's something that keeps growing because of the work that you've done and you get to own that. Yeah, it's not just something that you that gets, you know, get kicked down from up top, or you don't kind of have to hand it on over to someone else. Like there's a there's something in that. It's why people do become um, sole traders and work for themselves. It's because there is a deeper satisfaction. But by doing it in cooperative, you get to do it together. You get mm. to do it as a collective, and you get to. I think you get to be bigger than the sole trader uh, without having to go into the to the corp. I think. I think the difference between the sole trader and the corporation, that scaling that takes place, yeah, that, that making something much larger than yourself. Whereas if you go from sole trader to cooperative, you're still getting the scale, you're still getting the largeness, but you don't have to sacrifice you know, the, the top down. You can still be part of the ownership. You can still be part of, of um, everyone working together. Yeah. And it's sharing, sharing the love of it. Yeah, right. So if, if, if people in Canberra like this idea and mm. looking for someone who's been doing this forever and like, oh, God, but they're down in Melbourne. That's terrible. Can, can, <laughs> can Canberra people still join up as members? National. Earthwork is definitely a national body. Um, we've got members across the country and, um, and we would love to see cooperatives built across the country that we're a part of. It's great to see that happen. At the moment, most of our activities in Melbourne, but that doesn't necessarily have to be that way. We can, if there's enough people arriving in different cities, and hopefully that will be the case in the in the five, ten years ahead of us, is that we start to build the national conversation because it's it's it, we've got the capacity in this country to build really powerful, beautiful things. And mm. it's just a matter of whether or not we can trust that, and 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 whether or not we're actually up for interrupting the narrative that keeps telling us we have to do what we're told. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm up for interrupting that narrative. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sold on that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. It's what community radio is all about. Yeah, we're capable of much, much more than this small place that we keep getting reduced 
too. Yeah, cool. So even if, if, if a bunch of people decided they wanted to be members of Earthworker and start up a cooperative in Canberra, would they be, uh, would they be helped out in doing e- that? Easily, yes, definitely. Ah. Definitely. And it's about, I mean, it's about having a good business. Every cooperative has to have a good business in it. Mm-hmm. But um, whatever that looks like, whatever the business is, if there's, a, um, there's all sorts of things. I mean, we, we're focusing in the Valley uh, on renewables because that's what the transition, um, one of the big transitions is. And we hopefully participate on a number of levels and what that looks like. But um, I think there's lots of industries that, that lend themselves to cooperatives really beautifully. Yeah, right. So how do people get in touch with Earthworker if, they, if they're inspired? www.earthworkercollective.com.au no, Earthworkercollective. uh, Earthworkercooperative.com.au Excellent. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wind up? Well, I'd just like to say thank you very much for this opportunity. It's been great to have great chats with you. I'm sure we've covered lots of ground. <laughs> it's been <laughs> yep, um, yep. great oh. to speak to that. Um, I, I must caveat our entire conversation because I've been part of those workers since August last year. So I'm still very much learning. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> and, um, you've, uh, you've done pretty well. <laughs> and Yeah, and it's still so much to learn. And I'm really, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm very, very grateful to have found them and to have a chance to share my skill set with such a, an incredible group of human beings who know that the future's ours to build, um, or not. Um, but, I mean, I'm part of the yes, please. <laughs> and, yeah, we're open to others. Please come along and play. If you've got a heart and a mind that says we can do this differently, then you're one of us. <laughs> All right, beautiful. Catherine Cunningham from Earthworker. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thanks, Scotty. Bye. This interview was done in the studios of Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Community Radio relies on its listeners for funding. If you enjoyed this program and would like to hear more programs like it, please donate by going to 2XXFM.org.au, click Support 2XX, and then donate, subscribe, volunteer, or sponsor us. Thanks.